Church, what is joy? You know, uh, joy can be hard to put into words, uh, but when I say joy, I can imagine, you know, or at least for me, the thing that runs through my head is that song. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in. If we were in church together, there would be a, a rippling of people who would start to join in. It, maybe you're doing that now at home. Um, maybe this song is now stuck in your head for the rest of the day. But what is joy? Uh, joy, uh, when most people talk about it, they compare joy to happiness. Joy versus happiness. What's the difference? And when comparing the two, um, someone I was reading this week put it like this. They said, joy is a state of being rather than an emotion. A state of being rather than an emotion. By referring to joy as a state of being instead of a feeling, it transforms the word, solidifying it somehow, making it a mindset that we can hold on to during the swing of feelings we will experience in our lives. And from this perspective, a person can have a number of feelings. They can be happy or sad, engaged or bored, you know, in love or in pain, and still be joyful. Call it what you want. Inner peace, joy, resilience. What this person's saying when they're comparing it to uh, as a state of being rather than emotion, it sounds like it's easy to have. And we long for this. We long for something that keeps us steady and sure when life is calm and when it's raging waves, right? How, do, how does our boat stay afloat after that call from the doctor or the thoughts about school or your future or the kids or in the middle of layoffs or when the questions rise up from your heart, questions that you're fearful even to name to others around you? We long for joy. We long for this inner sense of, of peace and deep, deep satisfaction. And Jesus teaches here that the gospel actually has the power to create this in us, to, to, that we will be living in a continuous state of joy no matter what season of life we find ourselves in, no matter what questions are rising up from our hearts. The gospel enables us not just to live for joy, but to be driven by it. Jesus tells us in these parables that the kingdom of heaven, which is what we are invited into, the kingdom of heaven is, is what happens to us when we give our loyalty and trust to God. We, we begin living his way of life, his kingdom living. Though it seems and begins small, Jesus teaches that it has the power to, to grow to an enormous size, to impact pe people around you, but also to impact every single nook and cranny in your own life. And discovering this, living in this way, gives us a deep and lasting joy, drivenness by joy. How does this happen? Well, Jesus says that to get this, we need to search for it. We need to be captured by it when we find it. We need to give up everything to have it. And we need to let it continue to change us. So four things this morning that we'll look at. We need to search for it, be captured by it, give up everything when we found it, and let it change us continually. So first, let's 
we must search for it. If we look at the parable of the treasure in the field or the parable of the merchant with the fine pearls, we see that in both of these parables, Jesus tells us about the hiddenness of God's kingdom. There's a sense that the beauty of the good news Right? That, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. That, that good news has to be found. It has to be searched for. Right? In the first parable that we read uh, about the treasure in the field, we see that the, the, the treasure is found almost accidentally. We're not told uh, how, or how intentionally this, this farmer was going after this treasure, but, but it's almost stumbled upon. In the second parable, the pearl is something that's being sought after. But in both of these parables, the treasure of the gospel is something that that they are on the hunt for. We may think that these two men are the odd ones out. But in fact, what Jesus is saying, is teaching in these parables is true of all people. Everyone. Everyone is searching for treasure. An author named David Foster Wallace once talked about this idea that everyone is searching for for treasure, for their treasure. But instead of using the word treasure, he uses the word worship. Because, you know, often when we say worship, we think of uh, singing or songs that we sing on a Sunday. But this author, David Foster Wallace, actually uses it to describe worth, what we give our worth to, what we give worth to in our lives. And he put it like this. He said, In the day-to-day trenches of life, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they're what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing themselves, you will die a million deaths before they bury you. And so what David Foster Wallace is saying with this is, is that he's, he's basically he's putting everyone in Jesus' parable and saying everyone is searching for treasure. Everyone is giving worth to a treasure in their lives. The only choice we get is what that treasure is. What do we worship? The difficult thing is that we live in a place, in a culture, where we're constantly being tempted to find treasure in the wrong places. A little while ago, there was a man named Alexis de Tocqueville, and he was a French guy who came to the United States and wrote about what he called a strange melancholy. It's the words that he used. Melancholy means sorrow. A strange melancholy that haunts us in the midst of abundance. He wrote this because he saw often how people in, saturated in North American culture, he wrote this because he saw that often people in North America who are saturated in this culture, we, we find treasure in what he called incomplete joys. An example of this I'm reminded of it comes from an interview that I read a little while ago from New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. This was a little while ago, but he'd, still, he'd won three Super Bowl championships and was touted as one of the most talented athletes of his generation. And he 
out loud in an interview with ESPN said, this can't be all there is. You know, we look at Brady and we say, this guy has everything. He's talented. He has won championships. He is rich. He is famous. And in the midst of all of that, he says, there's got to be more. It's an incomplete joy. Or comedian Jim Carrey, who says to everyone, he says, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so they would see that it isn't the answer to anything. It's an incomplete joy, and it leaves us searching. As Christians, we have to look in the mirror. For our call to confession, we read of Jesus' summary of the commandments. And the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is a commandment about worth. It's a commandment about treasure. It's a commandment that we all break. All of us. And so the question isn't, do I have other gods before God? But which ones sneak up there? Do we examine ourselves? Do we ask ourselves, what incomplete joys am I buying into? Congregation, can we find ourselves in Jesus' parable this morning? Can we see that the Apostle Paul in this Romans 8 passage is writing to us just as he is writing to Roman Christians as, as people who must repeat over and over and over again and rehearse in us over and over and over again the truths of the gospel. You know, we are, as the great hymn says, you know, we are all prone to wander Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're searching. We have both found treasure and we are searching for treasure constantly in our lives. But how, how then does the gospel become an ultimate treasure in our hearts? How does it become the thing that leads us into a deep joy? Well, we have to be captured by it. We've all found ourselves wrestling with this before. We think to ourselves, or out loud, questioning things like, am, am I a Christian? How do I know that I'm a Christian? I mean, I grew up as a Christian, but, and I believe in God, and I love Jesus, but how do I know that I'm really a Christian? How do I have assurance in this? One of the ways is to answer the question, does the, does the gospel capture you? Does it captivate you? Does the beauty of Jesus knock your socks off? And I mean that, seriously. In these parables, look at these people who, uh, the farmer and the merchant, they have found treasure, and they know it's treasure because they've been completely captured by its worth. Nothing else matters. I remember one time when I was younger, I had a rock collection growing up, and so uh, I remember one time we went camping somewhere near Bancroft, Ontario, uh, which is, you know, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, mining or whatever that goes on there, and there was a rock store there, and uh, basically this guy had in his backyard of the rock store, he had, you know, people dump 
truckloads of rock that they'd, they'd mined from around the area. And um, he would, you know, for a certain amount of, he'd charge you per weight. So you'd get a bucket and you'd go out and you'd find and collect rocks and then he'd charge you based upon weight. And I can remember that we had to go and search for these rocks. And I remember one time I found one that was shiny. Right? It was small. It was shiny. It was like a, a deep red color. And I knew just by looking at it, I could tell I was captured by it that it was worth something. But we didn't just stop there. Like I took it and we examined it. Right? And I took it to the expert, the professional, and I said, what is this rock? Can you help me identify? Is it worth something? Is it valuable? It looks like it's valuable. Is it really valuable? And I discovered that, yes, it was. It was a treasure. It was, it, was a, it was a valuable rock. See, this is what these two in the parable do with the kingdom of God. When they see it, they're captured by it. And they know that it's of worth. But for some of us, this may mean asking some technical questions of the gospel. Questions like, what does it say about me? What are some of the claims of Jesus? Are the, are the scriptures reliable and trustworthy? Did he really die on the cross for me? Am I really invited into a relationship with the creator of the universe? We need to ask these questions. We also need to ask the personal questions. You know, what if the Bible is true? Then on the one hand, I am more hopelessly lost and broken and sinful than I could ever imagine. But on the other hand, I'm more loved and accepted in Christ than I could ever believe. What does this assurance do in me? How does this call me to live differently? Is this a treasure for me? And this is the essence of Paul in Romans 8 as he tells us about the confidence of the assurance of God's love for all who believe. Like nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. When we put these two together, we put the gospel on video. We all know that when, you know, when we're listening to a podcast or a radio station, we can be doing other things, right? If, you, if you're listening to sports radio, you can be working. If you're listening to a podcast, you can be going for a run or cooking dinner. Uh, you know, if you're uh, listening to Spotify, you can be doing homework. We can multitask with audio. Even men can multitask with audio. But not with video. Women can't even multitask with video. We are captured by video. It's different. It's captivating. It, it demands our entire attention. Is the gospel on video for you? As Christians, it's difficult to be captured by something 24-7. Some of us have been Christians for so long that it can become a little bit complacent in our hearts. Just an accepted truth. And we can stop growing in Christ and finding our joy in Christ. And the, the devil can, can sneak in and plant things into our hearts and lead us astray. And so while, while it's hard to, be, to put the, the gospel on video 24-7, we also need to keep being captured by the gospel again and again. And sometimes... Um, this comes, this, this actually comes through uh, two things, I think, Christian worship. You know, what are the rhythms of worship for your life that, that keep you captivated by the gospel? 
the good news. Rhythms of prayer and scripture reading. Rhythms of communal worship. Of Christian community. Of surrounding yourself with others who love Christ and are devoted to him. But sometimes also we need to ask ourselves tough questions. I shared a little while ago about questions uh, that can wake us up as Christians. And it's, it's good to be just be reminded of these over and over again. So questions like this, you know, ask yourself this. How real has God been to me this week? What has my worship of him been like? Have I been finding God's word coming at me, searching me, changing me, correcting me, directing me? Have I found some of the promises of God precious to me in this week? Or another question, am I finding God's grace more glorious to me than it has been in the past? Why? These are questions that that help shake us from having the gospel on audio to video. And move us to find joy, not in incomplete joys, but in Christ as the complete joy. This is grace treatment, though. We have to remind ourselves that asking these questions and answering them in troubling ways, maybe, for some of us, doesn't mean that we are bad people. (laughs) It doesn't mean that we're evil. What, What these questions are, are opportunities of grace. Opportunities for us to participate in the grace that God gives and lavishes upon us. We can ask these questions of ourselves freely because we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we know that we are a people that are prone to wander. That we know that we are a people who are being sanctified and will continue to be sanctified. We are searching for a deeper joy constantly. Finding that in Christ. And so to be filled with the gospel joy, we must be captivated and captured by the gospel. And Jesus promises that what starts small in us will grow. And will grow. Like a mustard seed or yeast in dough, it grows, begins to reshape our entire lives, begins to reshape communities, begins to reshape our world. So what does this process look like? It's the process of handing over ourselves to Jesus. Look at these parables. Both the farmer and the merchant give up everything they have for the treasure that they've found. They know that they've been searching. And they know that they've been captured by the beauty of a treasure. They know it's true treasure and then they buy into it. They hand over everything. In their lives to have it. But a key to this parable is this that joy comes before selling. Look at it. These these the farmer and the merchant are filled with joy that enables them to give up everything. 
Even further than that, it's actually the joy itself that sets them free. It's the joy in the treasure that drives them to give up everything. They don't even see it as giving up anything because they have the treasure that they've found. Sometimes we get this backwards. To get joy, we must give up everything. It's the condition of the gospel, right? You know, how much do I have to sacrifice? Just name the number. 10%? And then I'm in the kingdom? What's the line? How high do I have to jump? I'll jump it. But it's backwards. What if Jesus doesn't want our stuff? What if he wants us? What if it is the joy of the gospel that Jesus intends to drive us to hand ourselves over to him and say, Lord, what will you have of me? What would do this for us? What would flip this switch? Imagine that you, uh, your house was burning. You and your family, you know, made it out safely. You're huddled on the curb and you do, you know, is everyone here? Do we have, are all the loved ones present and accounted for? Even the dog? Yes, okay. The house is burning. And this is, this is sad because it can be frustrating and there's lots of other things in the house that are, that are important, but we're safe. Everything's safe. Imagine you find yourself in this place, and then your neighbor comes flying by and says to you, is everything, is, are all the loved ones out? Are you all safe? On the, and you say, yes, everything's safe. It's just there's some things in the house, but it's okay. It's just, it's just things. But they continue to run past you, and your neighbor runs into the house, the burning house, and dies in the flames. You look at this neighbor and you think, why? Why would someone do something like that? What a tragic waste of a life. But, on the other hand, what if your house was burning and your child or your parent was stuck inside and your neighbor, your your overcome with emotion and standing on the curb and your neighbor comes up to you and says what's wrong you say well my child my 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 daughter my my parent my parent my my husband is in the flames and, and we can't we don't know where they are but they're somewhere in the house and your neighbor comes flying by and runs into the house and saves them and dies in the process that would change things for you. You would look at that person, you'd say, oh, how that person loved us. What a selfless act of love that is, that they would give up themselves to save my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife. What if this is the gospel? So what the cross says to us is Jesus has run into the flames of your life. He sought you out. He has found you and he has died for you. And he says to us, I am God. I've come to find you. I am God come to save you and to change your life. I have emptied myself of joy so that you may have it in abundance. We are found by Christ before we find him. This is the gospel. If God is for us, who can be against us, Paul says? 
What can harm us if somebody has already saved you from the flames? The flames cannot get you. Wouldn't you give up everything to have more of this person? As the great preacher Charles Spurgeon says, you must keep all earthly treasures out of your heart and let Christ be your treasure and let him have your heart. Lastly, we must let it change us and shape us. One commentator put it like this, it isn't enough to say we are nothing. We have to live as Christians too. We can't just fall on grace. We have to, our lives have to change. We have to, our lives have to reflect the goodness of the gospel, of the way that Jesus calls us to live, of his law. We have to be obedient to God. This is all uh, the point of the parable of, of the nets, right? That, that there is a righteousness that should um, define Christians. But notice how David puts it in Psalm 119. He doesn't say, your statutes and laws make sense to me, therefore I obey them. He doesn't say, your statutes and laws are good for everyone, therefore I obey you. No, what he says is, your law is wonderful to me. Your statutes and your laws are wonderful to me. Why are they wonderful to him? Some of the things that God asks us to do are difficult, are hard. They, they rub us the wrong way. They, they, they can um, be uncomfortable. How is it wonderful for David? Because God is wonderful to him. God is everything to him. So his law is everything to him. David's joy in God drives his obedience. And so it should be with us. Our joy drives us to be changed by him continually. Church, see Christ as everything. Fall on him. And you will receive from him a joy that is unshaken because of the cross. Because our hope is secure. The game is over and we win in a buzzer beater. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. See Christ as everything and obey him. And it will lead us into a deeper joy still. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for being who you are for coming to us in the flames of our lives, for raising us up from the ashes, for giving us new life, new hope. God, this gives us joy. And so we pray for boldness as we seek to treasure you above all things, as we rid ourselves of the incomplete joys of our lives. Father, would you send your Holy Spirit into us that we would be captivated by the gospel. Put it on video in our lives. And Father, may we please you in all that we do. May we find joy in obedience because of what you have given to us in Christ. 
So we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.